This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, you know, I recently decided that I can no longer trust sailboats. Why is that? I just think they're rigged. I love it. What a great joke. <laughs> I love it. It's beautiful. Uh, oh, it's, great. Uh, it's, great. it's a great pun. I'm sorry that I didn't like set you up with a soccer pun because I'm pretty sure that you're going to want to talk about how Liverpool has won six Champions League trophies in the 9,000 years that that event has been happening. We've won it six times. Six? Oh, God. I'm going to be honest with you, Hank. Liverpool! It's, it's like a pool of liver! It's been about 60 hours since the end of the game, and I have a little bit of a hangover. (laughs) Yeah. I would say that my hangover is like 80% emotional, but there is the 20% (laughs) of it that's sort of a lingering physical issue. Why does this happen as we get older? Can my body just keep up, please? I mean- Two-day hangovers is a thing that I, I used to think that hangovers in total were were made up. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go ahead and blame this not on my body, but on my choices. (laughs) (laughs) After Liverpool won the Champions League, their sixth European title, I went to a Liverpool bar in New York City with the amazing Akilah Hughes, who had just moderated a panel that I was on at BookCon. And I mean, it was pure, unadulterated magic. I don't have anything like that in my life. Like, I regularly start crying thinking about it. Like, I've probably Mm. started crying today four or five times, thinking about Jordan Henderson and his dad, thinking about Mohamed Salah, 
Thinking about Jeannie Wynaldum. Think about Daniel Sturridge. Daniel Sturridge. Yeah, it's Daniel Sturridge and Jeannie Wynaldum and Jurgen Klopp. Oh, Jurgen Klopp, he's a meme factory. <laughs> and you know the other thing I think about, Hank? I think about how all the fans of the other teams in the Premier League, especially Manchester United fans, before the game, they were like, if Liverpool win this game, their fans are going to be so unbearable. And I am going to be so unbearable <laughs> for like five <laughs> years. I already have a collection of gifs and or gifs, depending on your worldview, that I like, I just look at them myself. I'm not sharing them on the social internet. They're just, They're just things <laughs> that I look at to enjoy. So, John, yeah. since Liverpool is so amazing, yeah. six European titles, yeah. how long do you think it is until Liverpool wins the World Cup? <laughs> it's 2022, Hank. We're going we're gonna to win it in Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> one of Liverpool's slogans, like one of the slogans of the fans is, we're not English, we're Scouse. So, so there it is. I mean, we sort of are a nation. All right. Representing Scouseland <laughs> I mean, in Qatar in 2020, the Liverpuddle. 2020. Okay. I mean, Hank doesn't even know <laughs> what the next World Cup is. What is that like? Uh, uh. It's probably about the same as your life, uh, except without that one thing. All right. Let's answer some questions from our listeners. This first one comes from Aiden, who writes, John, how's it feel that Liverpool just won their sixth European <laughs> title? It feels great. That's not a... God, I can't get over it. I read the whole thing, and not once was that a question. My brother and I listened to the pod, and he heard <laughs> you go. say that the best way to spend family time is to build a shelf, and he asked me to do it with him. I said yes, and long story mm, short... Terrible mistake. We ended up busting a hole in the wall at the bottom of the stairwell after we dropped it and my parents don't know that this happened because they don't ever go to the basement and oh. what do I do? Pumpkins and penguins, Aiden. Hank, what a terrible idea to tell people that the best way to become <laughs> closer as siblings is to build a shelf together. Look, yeah, Aiden, you made a huge mistake, which is, for clarity, listen to the podcast, not the advice. That's the tagline of this advice podcast. I think technically and the tagline is listen to the ads. <laughs> <laughs> then the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Don't listen to the advice. First and foremost. Aiden, the good news is that you've got an incredible opportunity. Here. I actually, I stand by it, damn it. I think you should build furniture with your family. Doing unpleasant tasks together is a bonding experience. No, Hank, I think that we were just really close to good advice, and now we get to give good advice. Oh, you think we're almost there? We have to hone it? Actually, the best thing that you can do with your sibling to get closer mm. is figure out how to, like, drywall over holes in the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crisis. Solving crises together. Yes. You've obviously got some time to do this. Yeah, thankfully your parents never come down to the basement. Yeah, you gotta match that paint if there's paint. Oh yeah, that's important. It's gonna be a whole process. You're gonna learn a lot. Yeah. You're gonna be contractors by the end of this. You're really only one project away from being a professional. <laughs> That's what Malcolm Gladwell says. <laughs> 10,000 seconds. Oh. <laughs> How are you feeling, Johnny? You still sort of having that emotional feel? Yeah, you know what I'm thinking about right now, to be honest with you? Probably something to do with Liverpool. I'm thinking about Bobby Firmino. It's Bobby Firmino. He's our Brazilian striker. Mm. He's so underrated. We call him Bobby Chompers because he has very, very white teeth. And I'm thinking about Bobby Chompers' just amazing smile. I'm thinking about the song that we sing about Bobby Chompers, Si Senor. Give the ball to Bobby and he will score. Do the strikers ever go on strike? Has there been a striker strike? Uh, Philip Coutinho kind of went on strike. He faked <laughs> having a back injury so that he could get transferred to Barcelona. And so we sold him to Barcelona because he, quote, wanted to win the Champions League. Well, suck it, Philip Coutinho. <laughs> 
Oh my God. This next question comes from Kellen who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm from Orlando, Florida. Hey, likewise. And I use sunscreen quite a lot, but I have no idea what SPF is. I know it higher is less burned, but what is it? Is it a chemical or a super powerful agent in a cream? It's like Agent Smith from the Matrix, but in cream form. Please help me feel less embarrassed to call myself a Floridian. SPF itty biffity. Kellen, it's a rating. So it's got the actual answer, John. You, know, you, you can have whatever answer you want to this, but it's not the actual thing in the cream. Yeah. SPF is like a unit of measurement. Right. It's how much solar radiation passes through something. So in the same way that like kilograms are a unit of mass, SPF is a unit of like transmission of solar radiation. So like shirts can have SPF. Like every shirt has an SPF factor. Clouds have an SPF factor. That's just a way of us being able to quantify how much certain wavelengths of radiation can be blocked by uh, anything. I thought it stood for Sadio performs fantastically. That, of course, being Sadio Mane, our incredible other striker. <laughs> you tell me when you've had enough because I, I can keep going. <laughs> Do soccer players wear sunscreen, John, or do they just uh, crisp up? I think that some of them must wear sunscreen. For instance, our left back, Andrew Robertson, he has to wear sunscreen <laughs> because he's so pale. I mean, he's almost <laughs> translucent. He's Scottish, and you can see right through it. He has an SPF of zero. He does. You can, like, see all of his veins and oh, arteries gosh. and stuff. And, oh, my <laughs> God, his crosses. Good Lord. All right, Hank, we have another question. This one comes from Amelia who writes, Dear John and Hank, my mom says I'm too curt in texts and emails. How do I not do that? Thanks, Amelia. That's actually quite a curt email. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I love it. I do too. I love it. We've done it. We're through. We've done the question. And now it's time for me to talk again. If anything, I feel like people are not nearly curt enough in texts and emails. I think that there is some element of people from different periods of time or also different places. Like, there are just different social norms. Right. Obviously, when you were writing a letter, it was like, I have to invest a lot into this. So you like have the whole process of starting the letter. And now... Oftentimes I will send an email and it doesn't even have any text in the body. It's just like, hey, can you do this? And in the subject line. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry. Like, I know that I just used email like a text message, but maybe I don't have your phone number. I feel like the right response to when your mom texts you and says you're too curt on email and text is just to write K. <laughs> <laughs> I think the actual thing is like your mom might be feeling like you're being rude to her or are you? Is there a piece of you that's like, oh my gosh, I can't, I don't want to be texting my mom right now. And so you are kind of short. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not about the length of the message. It's about how you present the message in a way that is part of the maintenance of your relationship with someone that you care about. And that can be as much as like the smiley with the blushy cheeks. If you give a blushy cheek smiley, everybody's like, oh, we're on good terms. Everything's fine. It's true. A couple emojis go such a long way. Yeah. When Catherine sends me hard eyes emoji face person, mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh God, we are such a good couple. <laughs> maybe don't send that one to your mom, but there's lots of uh, like mom appropriate emojis out there. And maybe your mom isn't super emoji literate, which is apparently a thing that you can and can't be in the world, but you're going to help her on that process. And also like a lot of these things are pretty self-explanatory. Also, you should call your mom, I think. If you can, because sometimes like you're curt on email and text because you have to be. But then if you can find like time and space to actually talk and chat, mm -hmm. that can make you both feel kind of filled up in a way that, in my opinion, at least text messages just can't. Yeah. Unless you use the best emojis, but those ones are secret, so you might not know about them. Oh, come on. Don't tell us that there are secret emojis. There's no secret emojis. 
Are there? Of course there are secret emojis. When you get a million subscribers, you do get that one emoji. <laughs> when you get a million subscribers on iMessage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you get Apple That's... famous, the most <laughs> valuable fame of all. Yeah, I've got so many contacts. <laughs> uh, no one knows about this kind of fame. That's actually kind of a weirdly interesting observation. I've been thinking about how like it used to be that social interaction was an extremely personal thing. And like it was only done in private. Right. And now we have made it so that social interaction is such a public thing and it is it's performative and it is done with the goal of ideally having the most people possible see this social interaction and how deeply different that is from how social interaction is kind of designed to work. Maybe like is probably the best way for it to work for our sanity. And that makes us devalue the interactions that we have in private, which hurts and I am frustrated by it. And it's just something I was thinking about this weekend. That's all. Yeah, it can start to feel like the private interactions that you have aren't really real in the same way, or they aren't valuable. Like they literally aren't valuable in the sense that they don't get you likes or retweets or money or whatever mm-hmm. it is that y- you get from your public interactions. Yeah. Not to bring it back to Liverpool again, but... <laughs> In that bar. Guys, John just had like the perfect opportunity to talk about the fact that he wasn't on social media. He didn't do it because he (laughs) wanted to talk more about Liverpool. It's the only thing in the world that I'm more passionate about than not being on Twitter. (laughs) When I was at that bar, though, you know, I, I was with almost entirely with strangers. A couple people knew who I was, but almost all of them were strangers who had no idea who I was. And yet, because our love was turned in the same direction, like our passion was turned in the same direction, we we were so deeply connected to each other. And I know there is a version of that that I would have had on Reddit or on Twitter celebrating with the other Liverpool fans on on Twitter or Reddit, but it, it just wouldn't have been nearly as deep for me. Like, I know it wouldn't have been. And I did Mm -hmm. miss Twitter and I did miss Reddit. I really wanted to post. I really wanted to celebrate with my friends on Twitter and Reddit. But like, I just knew that it wouldn't be as real. Like, it wouldn't be as intense. And in fact, in Indianapolis, where I desperately wish that I could have been at the Liverpool bar in Indianapolis, like they were lighting off like red flares. And you know, somebody <laughs> sent me an email of like all these people dancing together and crying together. And I was in New York, like dancing and crying, not with the people I know, but with people I, you know, share this intense love with. And so I don't know, I, I really do think that we have dramatically undervalued private real-life interactions. Which actually brings us nicely to our next question, which is from Bailey, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I often find myself going to the social internet when I am feeling lonely because I think hearing from other people in any capacity will make me feel better. However, I am a college student and scrolling through Twitter and Instagram just makes me feel more alone. On top of my loneliness, I now miss a past and a school that I've completely romanticized in my mind, and I never come out feeling less lonely. My question is, what are some healthy methods to combat loneliness that don't include social media, Nerdfighters and Nostalgia, Bailey. 
I'm not going to assign this to Bailey, but a thing that I have is that it's the easiest thing to do. Right. And it's designed to be the easiest thing to do. And even if we know that it isn't a solution to anything, even if we know that it's not going to provide us with any actual value, and like sometimes it does, and so it's important to know to like recognize that, but when it isn't, it's still the easiest thing to do. They've made it so that you can unlock your phone just by pressing your finger onto the back of it. They've made it so that everything is extremely fast and it loads and immediately you see something you've never seen before. And so it's always there because it's so easy. It's what my mind immediately goes to when I'm having sort of any negative emotion. It's like, oh, distract that from that quick. So the thing to remember is that like a lot of the things to do are harder to do than to look at Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. That's true. But I also think there might be something else happening. And this is something I think a lot about because it's it's related in its thinking pattern to my obsessive compulsive disorder. And so it might be specific to me or specific to a pretty small subset of people. But I think a lot of times we try to treat the thing that we're trying to solve for in a way that makes us feel immediately better and long term worse. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like in the immediate moment being on Twitter is hearing from other people, which feels good. It feels like connection. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. over time, it starts to not feel like connection. And and instead, you notice that you're actually withdrawing more from the social spaces that make you feel deeply connected, but that are more work, are harder to access, are harder to, mm-hmm. you know... Are more stressful. Yeah, and are definitely, like, scarier. Also, I don't think that loneliness necessarily has to do with whether you're spending time with people. No, that's true. There's lots of ways to be alone and not lonely. And so oftentimes I find that if I can just you know, put in an audiobook that I like a lot and walk around. And that's not going to be stressful. It's going to be pleasant, but it's not going to be social media. And, you know, having a pet or a child kind of like forces you into those kinds of activities. Yeah. And I have, you know, had one or both of those things for a long time. And I think that's part of the reason why, like, having a dog is such a boost to a lot of people's health, because it really, like, it gives you a chance to just be a little bit outside of your space and inside of the rest of the world. And that can also lead to social interactions. But beyond that, ideally, there are also, you know, activities at your school or activities in your community, uh, activities that your workplace is putting together or just opportunities, whether that's volunteering. And I'm not saying that these things are easy, like they can be super stressful and hard to do that stuff. But those opportunities tend to be available in one way or another. And they don't always cost money, though they sometimes do. And I think it's worth, you know, spending that cognitive energy doing that stuff when we recognize that we're in a a place that isn't great. Yeah. Also, if you can make plans, you know, I find like sometimes if I like go on a little walk, listen to an audiobook, listen to a podcast, whatever, I'll feel better enough that I can text a few friends and try to make plans like say, Mm -hmm. hey, could you do you want to get lunch next week? The more specific you are, the better, the more likely they Mm -hmm. are to say yes. And that helps me when I feel lonely, which I even though I do have children, you know, I still feel a fair amount. So I can definitely relate to this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really hard. But if you can just make those small plans, they can get better and better. And I know I know that I've talked a lot about Liverpool Football Club. (laughs) But if I can give you one (laughs) small piece of advice, it's love Liverpool Football Club. All right. Well, John solved everyone's problems. Because, you you know, Hank, 
as I'm sure you're aware, the song that Liverpool fans oh sing at gosh. the beginning and ending of every game. Is, what do they say? It's called You'll Never Walk Alone. Oh, that's And nice. it's very, it's a very cheesy song, but to hear 50,000 people sing it together really is powerful. When you hear 50,000 people singing Walk On, Walk On with Hope in Your Heart, and You'll Never Walk Alone. And, you know, when you're part of a community, whether it's a football club or something else, you really do never walk alone. And I think that's hard to find. It takes time and work to build, but you're going to get there. I don't understand how a bunch of British lads, industrial town Brits get together and say something that heartfelt together. It's like, that is such a foreign idea to me, like opening yourself up enough to do that. Like what social space in what world would I be able to sing a song with people and not feel totally over the top sappy? Hank, you are getting very, very close to understanding the magic of football. You are, <laughs> you, you are inches away from being sucked into a vortex from which you will never emerge. So mm. you're standing on the edge right now and you are about to make a choice. Are you going to become as big of a Liverpool fan as I am? Or are you going to continue down this path of being lost and alone in the world? <laughs> this next question comes from Kamal, who asks, Dear Hank and John, because I want to keep talking about social media. In a recent episode, John briefly discussed an episode of Game of Thrones that was too darkly lit and talked about how the internet was all up in arms arguing that if you couldn't see what was happening, then your TV settings were incorrect. Now, I don't know if you know this, as John really mentions it, but John is no longer on social media. <laughs> My question is, where does John consume his hot takes? What is his point of exposure to this sort of internet discourse? Best wishes, Kamal. Well, Kamal, after the Liverpool game, I did find a way to get to Twitter <laughs> on my phone. It is incredibly yeah. hard. I have to go through the podcast app, but I did it. Wow. It is really not easy, but I did it. I didn't post or anything, but I did look because I just, I needed it. I needed it so, so bad. And also it was 3, 3.30 in the morning and I I hadn't made the best choices, Kamal. My, my inhibitions were a bit lowered, if you catch my drift. And so I, I can theoretically do that, and I have done it several times since I quit. But the main way I get hot takes is because just because you don't use Twitter or Reddit or Facebook anymore doesn't mean that your information feed has improved very much. And there are a ton of Google News stories that are essentially just collections of tweets. Yeah. There will be a headline yes. on Google News and the headline will be something like Game of Thrones mm -hmm. was very dark and people are not having it. And I will click the crap out of that headline. Yeah. And then I will just, I will ingest all of the hot takes. Yeah, this generally reminds me of the reality that when we say like, oh, if you don't like social media, just don't use it. We all still have to live in the world where everyone else is using it. Yeah. News gets generated there. Like, I don't probably go to my Google News feed right now. And like, at least three of the stories will be about something someone tweeted. And that other people are really mad about. Usually the president. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. There's also the fact that we all imagine ourselves to be somehow immune to the way that the information feed shapes our understanding of the world. But it mm -hmm. is precisely the belief that we are immune to it that makes us so susceptible to it. It is yeah. because we don't think advertising works on us that it works so well. It is because we think that, you know, propaganda can't affect the way we vote, that propaganda is so effective at, at changing the way 
we vote. Mm -hmm. We need to think harder about this stuff and not imagine ourselves as being people floating above a sea of information and instead understand that we are fish swimming in that sea of information. Yeah, the idea that we are at all separate from any of the things that go on in our culture is is buck wild. It's part of us. We're part of it. We can't separate ourselves from it. And just because like something happens in a movie doesn't mean that like we're going to be that thing. It's not like a direct one to one relationship, but like everything we do is informed by culture and we cannot escape that. So we have to be aware of it. Yeah, exactly. This next question comes from Callie, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I've always thought it was weird that all food tastes better when someone else prepared it for you. My going theory has been, until this past week, that subconsciously our taste buds appreciate the care and work that another person has put into the food we are eating, and so it tastes better. It's always kind of warmed my heart to know that my friends could taste the love that I put into the food I would cook for them on the occasions that they would let me. Unfortunately, I have since realized that, in fact, I am just a bad cook. How do I stop being bad at cooking? I'm going back to Cali. Cali. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I oh, mean, it's, the funny thing is that I, I feel like when Sarah and I cook, the food is much better. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, Sarah's a really, really good cook, and I've spent, you know, years trying to learn from her. Mm-hmm. I have a very specific recommendation for this question. Me too. Which is to buy the book, How to Cook Everything, mm. and use it to cook things for a while and also to buy the book Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which totally changed my understanding of food. I don't know anything about Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. I saw that it's a Netflix show and I've heard people talk about it, but my... Very enjoyable Netflix program. My suggestion is somewhat related to that, which is salt fat. (laughs) I don't know about acid and heat, but in general... So here's a theory I have about when someone cooks for me, why that often tastes better than when I cook for myself. It's because when I'm cooking for myself, I'm thinking about how much oil and butter and salt I'm putting in stuff. When someone else cooks for me, I'm not thinking about that. And especially at a restaurant, like you don't have any idea how they made this taste good. It was probably butter. And salt. There is a lot of salt in pre-prepared foods. And there's a lot of salt in butter, usually, if you get salt and butter. More salt, more butter. Like that's ultimately, it doesn't have to be butter. It can be just salty oil of any kind. That makes stuff taste better, man. Right. So you can either read the books that I recommended or you can just add more salt to your broccoli. (laughs) This next question comes from Mark, who writes, Dear John and Hank, Why does it seem like the older I get, the more easily I cry? (laughs) Biz, Mark. I've not found that particular thing. I have. I go through like waves of crying. I am less likely to cry for hours or to like sob and sob and not be able to return to normal. Uh But I am much more likely to cry like two tears. Mm-hmm. I've cried two tears like five or six times today. Yeah, well, I mean, the Liverpool thing happened. It has been an unusually good day. But yeah, I find that I tear up a fair bit now. I had a right good sob. I was walking Oren to the park and I listened to a Becky Chambers book and uh, it just something really beautiful happened. And I was just like, oh, God, I'm crying on the sidewalk. Mm. And I had a, another similar right good sob when as I was writing this weekend. And I was like, oh, Jesus. I'm crying about my characters again. 
That's a, probably a good sign, I guess. Maybe, although I do that every time I write a book, and I find that there is not a firm correlation between when I'm writing a really good scene and when I'm crying really hard. <laughs> like, there's not a negative yeah. correlation. There's just not that strong of a positive correlation. Either. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I think I might be a little bit more emotionally open now. And so maybe that's something that's changed with my particular age, where like I'm open to being hurt more because I'm more secure in total. Like I'm, yeah, I'm, that's probably part of it. I'm less hiding from it. I also think that part of it is that I have more accumulated life experience. Mm-hmm. I just think that everything feels a little more poignant to me than it felt yeah. 14 years ago when Liverpool last won the Champions League. I definitely cried, but part of what's made me so emotional this time is thinking about those 14 years, you know, Mm -hmm. thinking about my life for those 14 years, thinking about the club for those 14 years. And you just have a different feeling when you have more accumulated life experience. I'm sorry. I realized that this started out as a bit, me mentioning Liverpool in answer to every question. And now it's like not a bit. It's just, (laughs) it's like what's sincerely happening. It's just happening. And I think it worked as a bit. I don't know that it's working as a sincere thing, but I can't stop. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's working. Let's be honest with ourselves. It's not going to stop. Yeah. I had an interesting experience on Saturday night, which is that this man was hugging me, which usually like when I'm hugging a stranger, I'm very uncomfortable. But on Saturday night, it was all good. And we, we were hugging and he started crying like really hard, like really started crying, like feel his like shoulders heaving, you know. And I was thinking like, why is this guy crying? And then I started crying and I realized that like I understood in a way that like I couldn't access from language why he was crying. And it was mm-hmm. just a really, it was just a beautiful, lovely moment with a person I will never speak to again. I don't know what to say. I've never cried with a stranger in my life. Uh, I recommend it. All right. I mean, if it's for a happy reason. I'll go to the grocery store. I'll let you know how it goes. I don't know that I recommend it like in the face of tragedy, but like I right. I really recommend it after Divock Origi scores a goal to put us 2-0 up in the 87th minute or whatever. Oh, wow. Divock Origi. I mean, Divock of all Origi. the people. John, we got another question for us? Oh, Divock Origi. Yeah, I have another question. Okay, good. This question comes from Emma, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm just recently married, and I have introduced my husband to the great world of Nerdfighteria, and when we finished listening to an episode of the podcast recently, he asked, So, how do you think those guys met? I laughed very hard (laughs) until I realized he was serious. But if you were not brothers, how do you think you would have met? Or would Hmm. you have even met at all? Emma. That's a weird question. I oh. A, we wouldn't have met at all. Why not? Because that's how the universe works. I don't know, man. I've met, I've met a lot of people twice. Everything in my life is so contingent upon Hank that <laughs> I have no idea what my life would look like if Hank weren't my brother. Like it's, I have a lot of sliding doors moments, but like the Hank not being my brother sliding door is too hard and weird to even think about. I think you would have written Looking for Alaska with or without me. Really? Maybe. Uh, We didn't know each other then. And then so maybe I still would have met Sarah. Actually, now that I think about it, I would be the exact same person (laughs) only without YouTube. Just just much more at peace. Yeah. I would have less professional stress in my life. And (laughs) it would be like when Sarah worked Uh at the museum and every time I went to an event with with her. Can we rewrite the conversation? I want to put a pause and go back to before I told you 
that your life would be the same without me, but better. Yeah. I want to take it back. Yeah, significantly better. (laughs) It would not have been better. I'm very glad that you're my brother. I'm very glad that we work together. And I honestly, I don't think I would have written Looking for Alaska or any. I, I just think my life would be so different. It's hard to imagine. Yeah. I'm not saying this just because I'm on an emotional high and a little bit hungover. But it's like the great joy of my life. Like it's it's an incredible thing to be so close to your brother in adulthood. And the thing that makes it work and makes it special for me is that in this whole process of us working together professionally for the last like 13 years, I know that I can trust you all the way down. And I just can't imagine having that feeling. Even people I really, really love, who I'm really, really close to, it's just not the same as somebody who's in your family who's known you since you were two. Yeah, there's a lot of sibling acts out there, and I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. But that reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by Brothers. It's brought to you by Brothers. These two brothers in particular, and we're thankful to each other and, and to everybody who you know, hangs out with us and, and listens and watches and et cetera. Hank has attempted to write in the podcast notes that this podcast is brought to you by Divakarigi, and I have never seen a worse <laughs> spelling of Divakarigi. <laughs> I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna recount it. But this podcast is brought to you by Divak Origi. Divak Origi, I mean He's a legend. Three shots in this year's Champions League. Three goals. This podcast is also brought to you by drywall patching. <laughs> Keep those 10,000 seconds in while you can before your parents come downstairs to the basement because you listen to Brothers on a podcast, which you should not have done. And this podcast is also brought to you by Virgil van Dyke, oh my Joel Maddop, and Trent Alexander-Arnold, <laughs> who I believe are the only three members of the starting 11 I haven't yet mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> This podcast is definitely brought to you by them. Oh, Trent Alexander-Arnold is the 20-year-old who took that corner kick really quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was fun. In fact, in my mind, over and over again, for the last two days, I hear the commentator's call of that. Corner taken quickly. Origi! It's just a loop (laughs) in my head. Play it right now. Let's hear it. Corner taken quickly. Origi! Ah! Oh, it's magic. It's magic. Corner taken quickly. Origi! Ah! We did it! We've also got a Project for Awesome message from Oliver Cossett from Tempe, Arizona. Tempe? Tempe. 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 This this is the most mind-blowing fact I know. Every number you can think of, like 17 or pi or the cube root of a trillion and 12, are all computable, meaning they would be the result of a finite-length computer program. But... We know that there are infinitely more real numbers than computable numbers. So almost every number that exists is one that we cannot even imagine. Thank you, Oliver, for that very good fact. I don't know if that's true, but if it is true, it is really mind-blowing. And thank you for donating to the Project for Awesome to share that fact with us. Is that true? I I think it is. I'm sure we're going to get mathematicians writing us about this. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. 
I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house. And Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep, it's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. And it may be, it probably is true. Oliver seems like he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, I think it's true. This next question comes from Morgan. It's wild. Dear Hank and John, I recently joined a new gym. It's been approximately 8,000 degrees outside, so I went for a run on the indoor track. Two laps in, a nice employee waves me down and tells me that the track is a walking track only, but I can, quote, run on the treadmills to my heart's content. Mm. You can't say that to a person when they're doing... You can run on the treadmills to your heart's content. Well, of course I can. That's what treadmills do. (laughs) Anyway... Now, <laughs> now I'm hiding in the locker room, says Morgan. How can I make my new home, this locker room, more comfortable and or escape without anyone seeing me? Much obliged. It's not Morgant, it's Morgan. Uh, well, first of all, you can't have an indoor track in a gym and then be like, you can't run on this track. That's what tracks are for. Well, I guess you can because they do. But Morgan, <laughs> I know that you feel mortified. I understand why you feel mortified, but I don't think you should feel mortified. This was not something you could have known. The human capacity for mortification is totally fascinating to me. Hank, have I ever told you about what happened to me in the New York Knicks locker room? I have a weird, mortified locker room story as well, but you go first. All right. So (laughs) I got invited to, like, sit kind of courtside at an Indiana Pacers game. Mm. And afterwards, I got invited to the New York Knicks locker room. And there was a big uh, spread of pulled pork barbecue. Nice. And I love barbecue. Uh And so I made myself a sandwich. (laughs) And the... uh, The vice president of marketing for the New York Knicks came up to me. He was a large man, very tall, and said, uh, what the hell are you doing? And I said, uh, just making a barbecue sandwich. And he said, that is for the players. <laughs> that, is, that, is for the, that is for the people who make $30 million a year, sir. If you look around, you'll notice that the other invited guests are not eating barbecue sandwiches. Morgan, that is a moment where it is appropriate to feel mortified. Yeah. Uh-huh. You absolutely. didn't do anything wrong, unlike me with the pulled pork sandwiches. So anyway, flash forward five years, here I am still thinking on a near daily basis about this mortification. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you had given 
just kept running. Maybe you have something to say. You're just like, that doesn't make sense as you walk by. Or if you'd gotten super passive aggressive and you'd be like, okay, well, now I am a semi-professional race walker. And you just (laughs) tried to like see if you could walk at six and a half miles an hour. Then maybe Mm -hmm. you'd have a justification for feeling a little bit embarrassed. But you did nothing wrong. You saw a track and you ran on it. That seems like a very normal response to seeing a track. But how do you get out of the bathroom? In general, there's only like two ways to get out of a bathroom unseen. And like they're both really bad. One is to find like a chamber of secrets of some sort, (laughs) fall down, kill a basilisk. The other is to like Arya Stark someone's face off and put it on yours. Both very bad. The only ways I know to get out of a bathroom without being seen. Yeah, I mean... You just got to Arya Stark this situation, Morgan. Kill the guy who said that this is a running. <laughs> Everyone in the gym must die now. No, like we have. <laughs> the problem is solved. As a species, we have got to get more comfortable with embarrassment, and I don't know how to do it. Yeah. I am the worst advertisement for being okay with even the slightest embarrassment just completely overwhelms my senses. Now I'm imagining Morgan like laying on their pillow at night saying like a list of the people that she has been embarrassed in front of. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> whispering their names. You're going to be okay. I hope I didn't embarrass you because now I'm scared. What was your locker room story? Uh, I don't know if I've told it on the pod before. Uh, it seems like I probably have because it's a pretty good story that it comes up with fair regularity. I was the mascot for my high school. I was Willie the Wildcat. Yeah. And the very first time I put on the Willie the Wildcat costume, I carried it with me in a bag and I went into the locker room and I changed into the Willie the Wildcat costume in like a stall because I'm, you know, terrified of my body. And I come out in the Willie the Wildcat costume and I am in the opposing team's locker room. <laughs> you know, just there to be like, you guys are gonna lose or whatever. And I was like, am I gonna get beat up right now? And I just ran out of the locker room as fast as I could because I felt like I was intruding upon their space. But luckily I had a mask on. So no one knew it was me. Yeah, they don't even know who you were. They thought you were just trolling. Maybe, Morgan, you should carry a wildcat costume around with you everywhere you go, just in case. Yeah, just become a professional mascot. (laughs) All right, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars Mm. and AFC Wimbledon, because there are (laughs) other football teams in the world, we need to give a couple of updates from previous episodes. First off, Julie... You'll recall Julie wrote in about spouses only being invited to a cookout. Right. And we speculated that Julie was likely a medical student Mm -hmm. or a statistician. In fact, Julie has written in to say that she is a psychology student. More specifically, I study applied behavior analysis, which, by the way, sounds to me like a statistician. Yes. In this case, most of what you do is statistics and you know it, Julie. My boyfriend and I, wow, that was a little strong. (laughs) You can't come at us. (laughs) My boyfriend and I did go to the cookout and while no one confronted me about bringing him, tragically, we lost in the first round of cornhole. (laughs) You should just dump him. On the plus side, everyone loved the mac and cheese we brought. All right, I'm back on board with him. Thanks for answering my questions. Not a cognitivist, but a behaviorist, actually a statistician, Julie. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, see, it's in there. Oh, it's the great thing about reading the questions is I can put whatever words I want in them. Also, Nassim, mm-hmm. who you'll recall, wrote us about first day work dress codes, our area of expertise, wrote in to say, Dear John and Hank, it was a pleasure to listen to you guys answer my question on this week's podcast. I should tell you that I did start work last week and I did go slightly overdressed with jeans and a button down shirt. Most people there wore shorts and T-shirts. Man, I t- Your jokes cracked me up. Thank you, Nassim. It all worked out. Yeah, shorts and T-shirts. That place is lax. There is no dress code. Shorts. Yeah, true. Oh, well, I mean, I will submit again. There is always a dress (laughs) code. It's true. John, what is the news from AFC Wimbledon? Oh, um, were you able to pay attention at all? <laughs> no, I haven't. I honestly don't have any. <laughs> there is actually, there is big uh-huh. news from AFC Wimbledon. There's there always news from AFC Wimbledon. The most important news is that Will Nightingale, AFC Wimbledon's captain, 23-year-old defender, has played for the club since he was like 10 years old. Will Nightingale has extended his contract. He had been offered a contract that he hadn't signed. There mm. was some back and forth. There was a lot of nervousness. He's very, very good, and so we would we, we are very happy to keep him, and we are keeping him. He's also somebody who just understands the values of the club in the way that you only can when you've played for the same club since you were 10 years old, like, for instance, Trent Alexander-Arnold. <laughs> so, yes, it's a really positive development. Also, there is a big meeting this week about the stadium, the mm-hmm. building of the new stadium, because if you look at the real long-term, the way for Wimbledon to progress is to have the new stadium. Mm -hmm. It brings us back home, but it also allows us to be in our own place that will have, you know, all of the like modern conveniences of new stadiums and will also hopefully generate more revenue, allow for bigger crowds, all of that stuff. So it's very, very important that we get the new stadium built and to get it built well. All right. Well, John, in Mars news. So back in 2012 is when the Mars Curiosity rover landed on the planet Mars. It was a long time ago. Wild. Yeah. The mission is still going on and it's still very active. And actually, the Curiosity rover has just reached one of its primary mission targets, which is amazing to think that it's 2019 and that just happened. But you can't land a rover on the side of a mountain because that's unsafe. So you have to land the rover in the flat lake bed and then drive the rover to the side of the mountain, up the mountain, to the part of the mountain that you really, really want to study. So Curiosity has been driving all around Gale Crater for years and years. It's driven miles of distance. And now it's headed up the side of Mount Sharp, which is this big, like fairly tall mountain that it wasn't built up by like tectonic action. It was uh, once a lot of land and then that was eroded away. And so this is sort of what's left over as this like chunk of land has eroded away. And thus, as the mountain was created by erosion, on the side of the mountain, there are layers that were set down when this was all part of a lake bed. And at the base, there was not a lot of like lake bed left. It's all been eroded away in the crater where Curiosity was. But now on the side of the mountain, we're starting to get to layers of actual sediment deposit. And that is very exciting. So Curiosity Mm. has now drilled its first two rocks in what's called the clay bearing unit. And we were pretty sure we could tell from like orbiter pictures and spectroscopy data that this was probably clay. It definitely is clay. We now know a lot more about the clay. The big deal here is that clay only forms in the presence of water. So this is like a whole layer of 
ancient lake bed that we're going to find out more about. We've already gotten some good data back, but there is a lot more uh, that we're going to learn from just this and like the papers that are going to be written about it haven't been written yet. But as Curiosity keeps going up the mountain and taking more data, we're going to find like it's basically like going through time in like the history of Mars. We can learn a lot about not just this one place, but like mm. the entire history of the planet. As Curiosity Project scientist Ashwin Vasavada says, each layer of this mountain is a piece of a puzzle. They each hold clues to a different era in Martian history. Doing a good job, Curiosity. Good work to the team. And that little rover is very exciting. I mean, if you think about how much we know about Earth's history from mm -hmm. similar kinds of yeah. observation, it's certainly an area with a lot of potential, right? Like we could learn a lot about the, I mean, obviously we, we don't have the same level of access, <laughs> yeah. but I, I feel like we could learn a lot about the geological, is it even called geological if it's a different planet or is that yeah. Earth specific? Yeah, we still call it geology. Okay. Uh, ge geo is like, is Earth, but we call it geology even when it's on other planets. We just carry that one forward. Right, okay. We don't call the dirt Earth on other planets like on, on earth if you like grab a piece of like a bunch of dirt you can call that earth we don't do that on other planets but that no but we call it mars <laughs> you just pick up that dust and you say mars <laughs> i hold it in my that's, hand that's definitely what i would do no oh, look at this mars i'm gonna take it home and put it in my child's mouth taste the mars it's got perchlorates in it that would be a very weird thing to do <laughs> <laughs> to like yes, take probably. the year and a half long trip to Mars, fill up a container with some dirt, take the year and a half trip back and be like, here, I brought you this. Eat it. Eat my dirt. Eat my Mars. Like, very weird. Oh, uh, John. Yes, we can absolutely learn a lot about the geology of Mars. Just from this one spot, there's a lot of Mars to see, but this is why they chose such an excellent landing place and it, it really is paying off. And 2020 is coming up, John. I mean, 2020 is on its way. When did Curiosity land on Mars again? 2012. So that was seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the number of Champions League titles we'll have next year. <laughs> John can't think of anything else. Oh, Hank, it's been a pleasure to pod with you. The only person I would have rather potted with on this blessed day is literally any of the 40 members of Liverpool <laughs> Squad. This podcast is produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. It's edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music you're hearing right now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. John and I are off to record our Patreon-only podcast, This Week in Ryan's, where this week, I believe we are covering Grace Hopper. That is correct. And you can find out more about that at patreon.com slash John. Thanks again for listening. As they say in our hometown... Don't forget to be awesome.